Well, as you know, uh, variously, we have been working our way through Richard Rohr's book, uh, Breathing Underwater. Uh, and as we have worked our way through that book, we're on step six. Uh, and his book is actually, he, he designed it from a set of talks he gave about the spiritual depth of the 12 steps that we often think of when we think of uh, AA or NA or SA or any of the 12 steps uh, addiction process. And what Richard, I think, would say, and I dare, I'm daring to even attempt to put some words in his mouth, what I hear Richard saying to me is that I have all sorts of addictive patterns, that every single living one of us have addictive patterns and ways of thinking in our lives that we need to break. It is those patterns, and, and we think that we can break them. You know, I can just I can change my life right now. I can just stop doing that thing where I keep pushing Linda's buttons every morning when she gets up because I like to do it. I can just stop. Well, then why haven't you in 26 years, James? Well, finally I have stopped. A lot of, uh, there's a lot less pushing of buttons in our house and, you know, I think it's because I'm getting mature and because I also don't think I could do this again so I can't have Linda walk out the door, you know, because it's getting too bad. So, you know, 26 years pushing the buttons uh, is enough. Okay, it's done. We're, uh, well, I wish it were completely done periodically still. Uh, but, you know, you have to give me space. So, this is, uh, we're on step six. And just in case you don't know what step six is, step six is we're entirely ready to have God remove all of our defects of character at least from Richard's perspective. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. When I was about 12 years old, I did that thing that United Methodists do, um, uh, uh, who are raised in the old Methodist way, which is I was confirmed. So I went through a process of training uh, Nothing like the first Christians who had to go through the training for three years. I had to go through 12 weeks, which seemed like an endless, uh, you know, for a 12-year-old. seemed endless. We read this purple. I remember the book was purple. That's as much as I can remember. It was a purple workbook, and it had all sorts of things about the history of the church and the history of the faith and I think it probably told me something about the Protestant Reformation and the breakaway of the West, you know, of the West and the East. I, I'm sure it didn't mention the Western and Eastern churches, but that doesn't matter. Uh, I just remember the teacher, uh, Reggie Potts, who was the senior pastor of my church at that time, who just this last week died uh, at 94 years old. And he came to mind as I was reading his obituary earlier this week because he was so formative for my life. Uh, I can still see his face. He always had a kind apparition. Uh, preaching was not his strong suit, but loving was. And, you know, if you're going to have a strong suit, I would hope that loving was really his strong suit. He wasn't a bad preacher. He just, uh, his strongest suit was love. And so I can still remember the way he talked to me. It was not just uh, what he said, but how he said it. Uh, at the same time, as I was confirmed in the church, I uh, became an acolyte in the church, which essentially you lit the candles and you wore formal attire and you looked serious and you had to stay awake for the sermons and watch, you know. And oftentimes, I don't know why, the, the scheduled acolyte wouldn't show up. 
and we were in church every Sunday, remember? 18 years, perfect attendance. So um, we were in church every Sunday, so he knew his go-to guy. So I can still remember Reverend Potts coming and saying, Jamie, could you, because uh, he called me Jamie, uh, that's what my parents called me, and you know, he could still get away with it. He called me Jamie when he heard me preach, uh, like when I preached at Bon Air. How many years ago was that, honey? Tw 10, 12? Uh, it was 2002, so how long ago was that? 16 years? 17? 17 years ago, he still called me Jamie. Jamie, are you a preacher? And I was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> so there we go. Um, but uh, he was always exceptionally kind, and he would say, would you mind doing it? And I, w I never did mind doing it. Now, at age 12, when I said yes, I'll be honest with you, I said yes because in my home church, you couldn't take communion as a child unless you were confirmed. Everybody else could go up and take communion, and I wanted to know what that communion thing was all about, you know. So we read the book. I made it through every Sunday night, two hours of sitting and talking and reading this book and filling out the workbook and being ready for confirmation. So I said yes, really to communion. That's what I said yes to. I would like to say I said yes to Jesus at that moment. I was not saying yes to Jesus. I was saying yes to the body and blood of Jesus, which later became for me the key way through which I have come to know who Jesus is, the breaking of the bread and the sharing of communion, which is why we do it every week at St. James. But that's neither here nor there. So my first yes wasn't even really a yes. I was not entirely ready for God to do anything in my life. Uh, I was merely ready to take communion, and I wasn't going to have any adults say no. So once I was confirmed and a member of the church, I had every right to communion. Uh, which is just a little bit scary that that's the way I uh, uh, looked at it at the time that I did. The way I thought about it and uh, saw it in those days. Now the good news is God is infinitely patient with us. Wherever God finds us, um, God has known us since before creation began. Since before there was even a Big Bang 13.8 billion years ago, or give or take a few weeks, or months, or years, or billion years, it if you believe what scientists say, now, you know, if you're still in the 17th century and 4,000 years is the age of the earth, that's okay with me too. I don't really care. I'm with the scientists. I'm perfectly fine with 13.8 billion years. Even before that Big Bang began, God knew my face. God knew my heart and every single one of you. Now see, 4,000 years doesn't sound like a long time to have to know me. But to have known me 13.8 billion years ago, now that... That's impressive, and you too. Now, to have the God of the universe, which is always expanding and getting bigger and huge and way big, and God knows us. Now, when the psalmist says, who are people that you are mindful of us? Man, it hits me hard. It hits me hard when I think about that reality. When I think about this God that already knows me and the God that loves me, the God that wants to know me more and more and wants me to know God more and more and wants me to grow into this relationship where I am ready for God to work out these challenging defects in my life. Now, here's one of the things that is most challenging for us. 
about the sixth step. It's two parts. One is I have to figure out what my defects are. I have to figure out who I am. I have to bring what I'm bringing to the table. And then I have to say, God, this is a defect I can't fix. It's in your hands. I, I can't fix this. I'm entirely ready for you to do it whenever you're ready. Now, that is not the way I work. I don't know about you. Maybe you all have infinite patience, and you just come to God and say, listen, I would really like to feel your love. You know, I, how about in the next 15 minutes? How does that work out for you, God? I, I've got, you know, I'm available for the next 15. After that, I'm not sure. I'm busy. But could you pop up for the next 15? That's not what I say. You know, I don't, I, I don't, 15 minutes isn't even enough. I want now. And this idea that I admit these challenges so that God can fix them, but I have to be ready to be open to whatever is going to happen and whenever it's going to happen. And this being ready is not something I'm good at. I'm not ready all the time. I have to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, maybe none of you are. But after a conversation, I come back and I say, oh, if only I said that thing. You know, I re-rehearse the conversation. Oh, there was something wiser I could have said. Or there was a better zinger I had. Or, you know, if only I'd been thinking. You only got now. And in order to be ready now for whatever God's going to do now, I think that's a little bit about what Thomas Merton was talking about in that reading I did this morning. Whatever comes my way prepares me. It opens me to who I am. You know, when something comes my way that irritates me, it tells me who I am. Because the things that irritate me say something about me. It doesn't say something about you when you irritate me. That's none of you, of course. None of you have ever irritated me, probably, at all. But whoever, whoever irritates me, it doesn't say anything about them. It says something about me. It says something about something that's raw inside of me. It says something about something that I've got to hang up about. It says something about me. I have to admit that to myself. You see, this is the hard part. This is what I'm learning. It's the hard part. It is so much easier to blame somebody else for all of my problems in the world. I would not be addicted except for all of you. I would not be addicted except for those people over there. You know, uh... People of a different race, different religion. It's all their fault. Those people from somewhere else. It's somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. Before I will ever be entirely ready, those first five steps are important for this reason. Before I will ever be entirely ready for God to work on my defects, i got to get over the fact that it's somebody else's defects, that they are mine. i got to own them. I've got to say, you know... I get irritated. In my world, there are, there's a couple of people that really push my buttons and know exactly how and who I push their buttons. One of whom is visiting me from Atlanta this morning. You know, she has a name, Hannah Grace. Hannah Grace Henry. Hannah and I are very alike in some ways. She's so like her mother in most of the most excellent ways. And then she has a few of my terrible traits. <laughs> and, and when we're together, sometimes we push each other's buttons. It hasn't happened on this trip. But see, we're both on our best behavior. 
It's like after, it's, it's before and after a deployment. Usually you have a terrible fight right before a deployment because you're moving away, you're going away from each other, and you, you, you're having a tough time, so you fight. And then you come together for, you know, as soon as you come together, everything's happy again for a while. Happy again for a while because I'm so excited and we're, we're like in the honeymoon period. And then before the honeymoon period ends, she flies back on Tuesday. You know, so there you go. So we've got this happy moment. But when she lived in my house, and Joshua now lives in my house all the time. And so there are things Josh and I do that push each other's buttons. And it's because they share traits of mine that irritate me. <laughs> they irritate me about me. And so when they do them, it irritates me about them. <laughs> Except it's not them that I'm irritated with. It's me. Oh, my gosh, I taught her that. <sighs> it's not even her fault. It's mine. It's mine. The only way we'll ever be entirely ready for God to work on us is to own up to our own stuff. And the only way we'll ever own up to our own stuff is learn to be really, really honest. To accept the moment as it is to be open in our body, our mind, and our heart to whatever comes in this moment. And when it irritates us, to ask the question, why, why does this irritate me? Why does this bother me? Why does this push my button? God, Open me up. Tell me. Tell me what this is. Because when I own it, when I admit I'm powerless over that thing and start those steps all over again, I can get to number six. I'm powerless over this way that I behave. You know, I need to admit it and believe that there's a way to overcome it. And now I'm entirely ready for you to do something because I have been accountable for it. I've gotten in this place. I'm trusting that you'll work this out. But the hard part is, I'm trusting you to work it out in your own time. Because what I find most interesting is it's often our most vulnerable, the things that make us feel most vulnerable about ourselves, that we feel weakest about ourselves about, that God uses to teach us about just how graceful God is. God loves us in our infinite vulnerability, in our infinite brokenness. Not in, not in spite of it, but in it. God made you. Before the beginnings of the universe, God knew what was going to be. God saw you. God knew your face before you had a face. And God wants us to rediscover that. But we have built up a lifetime, over a lifetime, filters. You can call them the unconscious if you want to. The ways we respond to situations like react, they're not really responses, they're reactions. You know, something, something happens and knee-jerk. Knee-jerk reactions. Those kinds of things are often built-up responses in the unconscious. How did I deal with the fact that my best friend Tommy, you know, re rejected me in fourth, four, you know, when we were four years old in kindergarten by not sharing that toy? How did I deal with it as a four-year-old? And the unfortunate thing is, sometimes I'm still dealing with it as the four-year-old I was a long time ago, <laughs> 52 years ago. I'm still dealing with life as the four-year-old who was hurt by Tommy who didn't share the toy. And unless I come to terms with that unconscious filter that treats me... When, when Linda doesn't want to share with me, you know, when we're out eating and, you know, how I like to graze off of her food, you know, she's, she gets the thing I want. 
I refuse to have French fries because, you know, I'm trying to pay attention to my girlish figure. And, uh, and uh, so I will not have the French fries, but let Linda get some French fries. I, you know, she doesn't even get to eat one. I thought I ordered the French fries, James. You did for me, didn't you? Because you were thinking, you know, I didn't want to look bad to myself by ordering them, but now that they're there, they're calling to me. We can't very well waste them. That would make God sad. You know, I can justify it, you know, and eat those French fries right up. And by the way, if you're really feeling it, why don't you order one of those uh, flourless chocolate waffles for dessert? Because I'm feeling that too. You know, with a big dollop of ice cream, you know, for yourself, not for me. But I'll share it because sharing goes back to the, you know. But if you're not willing to share, then best friend Tommy, four years old, how do I feel that? I feel that inside. Rejected child. You know, and for, as stupid as it sounds, it's the way our brains work. We replay those same messages. It's why we can't fully relate to each other. It's why we play games with each other. It's why, you know, you know, little boys. Linda and I were talking about it yesterday. It's a very sad reality. When I first started really liking her in seminary, I would walk up to her like this. I wouldn't punch her, not really, no force, but I put my fist up against her shoulder, and I would just like push her away like that, Marge. You know why? Because I liked her. And instead of telling her I liked her, I didn't punch her hard because I knew better than that because Linda would knock me out. <laughs> it would be over. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> no, there was no pushing away. There was no pushing away. There was, hey, hey, girl, I like you. Woo, woo. Little boys and little girls should not be dealing with each other through violence. <laughs> Neither should big boys and big girls. And we need to get over those things. We need to get past those things. But somehow my little testosterone, that's the only way I knew how to get it out. You know, it tells us to do two things, apparently. So, uh, and one of them is to fight. Um, so the truth is, we've got to watch those things. And when we see them, instead of beating ourselves up, because then we just interiorize them deeper and give them more power. Instead of beating ourselves up, we just need to see them for what they are. Wow, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been doing this my whole life. I don't know why. But maybe, maybe God, if you're willing, I'm ready for you to get rid of that thing. I don't punch Linda anymore. I, you know, at all. No, no closed fist at all. I've elbowed her a few times, but usually that's when I'm asleep and, you know, I'm having some kind of scary dream. The other day, I had my heart replaced at, uh, you know, in one of my dreams. I was, I was a wide awake, and I was at the Jewish Community Center, where I've never been before, and this really nice lady walked up to me with a scalpel and cut over my chest and took out my heart. And we were waiting for a new one. I don't know. And I was, I was awake <laughs> for the whole thing. I don't know. What are we working out? That was probably one of the nights when I elbowed Linda. <laughs> no! They're taking my heart! <laughs> you never had one, James. There's nothing to take. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm so bad. I am so bad. How do we work through these things? Well, I, I had a passage, and I still have that passage, and I want to share it with you. From Romans 12. It'll be familiar to some of you who... Uh, 
who have studied uh, Romans, but Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm reading to you from the Revised English Bible. Therefore, my sisters and brothers, I implore you by God's mercy to offer your very selves to God, a living sacrifice dedicated and fit for God's acceptance, the worship offered by mind and heart. Adapt yourselves no longer to the pattern of this present world, but let your minds be remade and your whole nature thus transformed. Then you'll be able to discern the will of God and to know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Put yourself in God's hand. Put yourself, all of yourself. I... The one I memorized growing up was, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present yourselves, your whole self, your honest self that's honest about all of your foibles as well as your strengths. And quite frankly, we have trouble being honest about our strengths too. We have a terrible time. We have false humility about our strengths, and we have real humility or hiddenness about all of our weaknesses. We don't want anyone to know any of them, and God made them all. They're all part of who you are. So stop trying to pretend like you're somebody you're not, because God doesn't know that person. God doesn't know the pretend you. God only knows the real you. Why would you ever want to spend any moment of your time being somebody you're not? A somebody that God doesn't even know. Because as my good friend Thomas Merton would say, that much privacy from God is too much privacy. <laughs> Stop pretending to be something you're not. Be who you are. And then present yourself so that God can transform you from the inside out. But only God can do that. That doesn't mean you don't work on it. I've told you before, I spent 12 years in pastoral counseling, 12 years, from 1988 until 2000, working through some of my stuff, a lot of my stuff. And it was only in that space that I came to admit who I was and some of my mistakes. And still, it took me until I'm 56, and I'm still admitting, my gosh, when does it end? Apparently, when I stop breathing. And then I don't know. Maybe it still happens then. <laughs> you know, maybe this is a pattern for eternity. But whatever it is, what I encourage you to do, make yourselves entirely ready. Make yourselves entirely ready to have God work out your, your, what you think to be your defects of character. And the only way to do that is to be honest about them and present them to God. So that's what I'm going to invite you to do. Cause you're